Welcome to Rich Conversations. On today's episode, Paul LaCrone returns to the podcast. Instead of reading the same book and then discussing it on here, I just wanted to pick his brain about psychology and philosophy. We had a really great conversation, and it's, uh, it's deep and philosophical, just full of positive vibes. And so if you're looking for something to kickstart your day, this is it. I had a lot of fun, and I'm excited to share this with you. You can follow Paul at a penguin latte. Let's begin. All right. So I have Paul here, Paul LaCrone. And it's been a while since our last podcast. And what we did before was read books throughout the month, and then we would discuss them on here. So we did Pale Blue Dot, uh, Walden, and what was the other one? There's a third Brave one, right? Brave New World. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think about Brave New World all the time now. and But this time, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to... Paul here is a student of psychology, and I actually studied communication and psychology in college. So we're kind of... We got, we're kind of weaving in and out here. And I, I want listeners to better understand psychology. And I want, I want to get your filter of psychology. So the question I have first for you is, what is psychology? And what's the value of psychology in the world? Okay, I could give you the textbook definition of psychology, which my Please don't. <laughs> professor had us drill and memorize for the exam. And I'm not going to do that because the answer is boring. It's, it's the, the study of the, the, I haven't even memorized it because it's just that boring. It's the apparatus, apparatus of the mind, the processes of the mind, yada, yada. To me, and not just to me, but to people who take these things seriously, who take the inner world seriously, psychology is a study of that. It's, it's a study of the inner world, your inner world that everybody has. And what's so strange to me is that I used to be so apprehensive and resistant towards these ideas relating to the inner, the psyche. I wouldn't use the word woo-woo to describe all this stuff. Because my mom, not just because my mom, I mean, shout out to my mom, I love her to death. <laughs> my mom would want me to meditate and she wanted me to get more in touch with my spiritual side. And I was just this angsty teenager. And I thought all of that was just nonsense. Yeah. Really, I wanted nothing whatsoever to do with anything that had to do with my inner self, my consciousness. I didn't even know what a consciousness was. I thought it was just some grandiose thing. I, I wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I'll tie this short life story into your, your point as well. It wasn't until I discovered Jordan Peterson's work, honestly, and I might get, f- people have told me that I, I sound so much like him because I, I read a lot of the stuff that he's read, Jung and Nietzsche. Like he's very iconic for talking about Jung and Nietzsche. I discovered his YouTube videos, the classic one about cleaning your room and he was talking about Nietzsche and Jung and, and that's when things started clicking and, and I started applying these things in my own life. and what psychology really teaches you is it's okay to experience difficulties. You're supposed to experience difficulties in your life. There isn't one umbrella philosophy that is going to just make you happier. And what I like about Jung so much, and you really wanted to get into Jung with me as well. I really enjoy studying the kind of psychology 
that articulates why it is we need difficulties in our lives. And you and I have already discussed Brave New World and that yeah. wonderful scene with the savage and the controller about how the controller, spoilers, if you haven't read this book, why haven't you read it yet? Why the controller was make, why it was so bad for the controller and Mustafa Mon to make everything easy. Mm. And so psychology to me is the study of how one can better themselves through merely, not merely through, coping with the built-in difficulties of life itself. You don't have to search very far to find something difficult. You already come into this world predisposed to all of your inborn psychological setbacks like built into you. And there's, there's a history to that as well, because you have to deal with the genes you've inherited from your parents and your environment and all sorts of yeah. horrible things to deal with. You come with these limitations. So why is psychology so important to study and understand? It isn't so that you can trick your friends into thinking that you can read their minds and that <laughs> sometimes get this like, oh, you know, psychology, tell me a cool like trick. Can you like, what am I thinking about right now? Or why do people behave this way? Yeah. You study psychology to learn more about yourself. And it sounds, it's not selfish at all. It's not selfish. You, you, introspecting you learn more about yourself not because you're so infatuated with yourself and you're such a narcissist but because you want to understand your own limitations and what those limitations are and those limitations won't necessarily ever go away they will always be there and it's with those limitations that you actually become a better person because you're able to do you want to do awesome things in life despite those limitations and you need that struggle it's the Bruce Lee thing. Pray not for an easy life, but the strength to endure a difficult one, which is the total counter thesis of the controller's philosophy of the brave world. <laughs> yeah. So in short, to summarize, I study psychology so that I could better understand myself. And the study of psychology has also led me to other philosophical forms of thought, uh, religious modes of thought, um, like the Tao Te Ching. And I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita right now as well. And there's all sorts of crossroads between religious texts and what you've learned in psychology, especially. How many, with, how many books are you reading right now? I am in a, <laughs> a great question to ask me right now, because I'm in a very scattered reading epoch in my life. What I used to do is actually read one book, start to finish. Right now I'm in this chaotic Naval Ravikant-esque style of reading where I'll only read something from a book that's interesting to me right now. Mm. So right now I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita for the first time in my life. Okay. I am reading so that. What, what is that about? So the Bhagavad Gita is a Sanskrit scripture. And I want to make sure I have this right. Cause this is all very new to me. Uh, I'll just read you the back, the 18 chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, yeah. the glory of Sanskrit literature encompass the whole spiritual struggle of a human soul. So it's this, dialogue between Krishna who, and thank God I have um, a friend who told me that Krishna is not necessarily God. It is creation itself. The thing that God created and apologies if I'm getting this wrong, but I think this might be right. It's a dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. Again, apologies if I get the pronunciation wrong, Arjuna and Krishna. So Arjuna is the, the struggle of the soul and Arjuna is communing with the, um, existence as such it's very clear language actually probably more clear than my own explanation of it 
So if you've ever read the Tao Te Ching and you didn't know what the hell it is you just read, because the Tao Te Ching is, is extremely poetic and I don't want to say esoteric, but it, it takes a few readings to actually understand what it means and it matters to get the right translation. The Bhagavad Gita is very clear in what okay. it's trying to tell you. And there were some passages from the Bhagavad Gita that I read multiple times over because the passages were so clear. And to summarize it, it would be to find peace within both gain and loss, pleasure and pain. So to find peace and pleasure Let's means- Say that to, again? To find peace in pleasure and in pain. So to find peace in pleasure means to enjoy the pleasures for what they are, to not be consumed by them, this also ties into the distractions thing you and I like to talk yeah. about to enjoy the pleasures, not to be taken or taken by the pleasures and to find peace in pain. So to find peace in sickness, to find peace in your own psychological limitations, the pain of existence. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading that I am very, very slowly working my way through Symbols of Transformation by Carl Jung. This is the, just only the second book by Jung I've ever read and can't say that how, I understand. How many books did uh, Jung put out? So in the Bullingen series, the collected works, I think there's about 22 volumes, which are all massive. There are a few books that are recommended for the wider audience which were the red book and man and his symbols i haven't read any of those i'm torturing myself by going straight into the dense stuff not because i'm any wiser or smarter just because i like torturing myself intellectually with these trying to find peace within your torture <laughs> yeah so i'm reading that and what else am i reading right now oh i also read nietzsche's autobiography eke homo and there is this wonderful part in this book, which I really wanted to share with you, which I think is so cool, which is because you were asking me earlier, what have been my influences both lately and uh, all time. Mm -hmm. So there is this bit in his autobiography. It's from this chapter where he goes, and this also rhymes, which is why I like it, because it rhymes. You rarely read something that actually <laughs> How much philosophers don't like to rhyme yeah. much. They don't like to rhyme much. How much truth can a spirit bear? How much truth can a spirit dare? That became for me more and more the real measure of value. This is the kicker. This is my favorite part. Probably in this whole book. Error, error, belief in the ideal is not blindness. Error is cowardice. Every acquisition Every step forward in knowledge is the result of courage, of severity towards oneself, of cleanliness with respect to oneself. The error is a lack of courage. What do you think of that? What do you mean? The error is lack of courage? What do you mean? So like in life, yes. the, the, error, is lack of the error you make in life is not having courage. Yes. Yes. Not necessarily blindness. So why I think that's so great is because you could spend an entire lifetime. And Nietzsche also talks about environment. He, he spoke a lot in this book about having the right environment, both, I guess, psychologically and also physically to be confronted with the ideas that are going to move your soul 
to do something that's purposeful and meaningful to you and to other people. And so he said the worst times in his life came from when he wasn't in the right environment, breathing the right kind of air that would give him the ideas to write the books that he wrote. And so there's that. And I'm not sure how that relates to the idea of courage. I think that's a self-awareness thing. But with the courage thing is that it's really, you hear so many people talk about how just having the courage to do something, to start something that matters to you, to start a project that matters mm -hmm. to you. you. We all have all of the information in the world at our fingertips of the internet now. Yeah. The modern way of, like modern people say this all the time. Like, what are you going to do to show up with it? You got to have courage to face that blank page yeah. to take all this information that you're confronted with. And if you want to be a creator, if you want to be a entrepreneur, an artist, you have to have courage to share your ideas with, with people, with other people. Like mm -hmm. we're not blind anymore. We have all the information and new information is coming out every second. If you want to do something phenomenal with your life, you got to have courage. The, the errors is a lack of courage and I would agree. I can look back at before when I started doing my own projects, I had been reading self-help books and self-development books for years. And you could read all those books. You can certainly read them. Yeah. You, you can read the books, but they're not going to take the steps for you. No matter right. what it is you want to do in your life, you need to take those steps. And it's always going to sound cliche because it's true. Well said. Well said. Part of, I think, having courage. Sometimes it's hard to have courage when you don't know yourself. And this goes back to the importance of psychology. Like, say you want these things in the world. Um, it could be because society is telling you that, that these are what we value. This is what's good. But you don't know how to get there. And the reason you don't know how to get there is because you don't know yourself. So the importance of taking the time to understand yourself and psychology plays a role in you identifying what you want and then how to get there, I think. Yes. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. You need to pay attention to the ideas you're having, the thoughts you're having. If you're stuck in a job that you hate, and you're having these thoughts underneath the surface. If you're in this job and something's kicking at you and it's poking at you, mm -hmm. you need to sit with that. You can't just ignore it. And that's terrifying because mm -hmm. that could be an entire, if you follow that line of thought and if you make that leap and if you leave that job and if you, if you gosh, if you have a family and what that means for your social life, it's a complete transformation of your identity. Yeah. So transformation itself isn't this beautiful, blissful thing. It's, it's scary. It's it is scary. And the self-help world, I hope, starts to talk about how painful it is because it paints this colorful picture of transformation. And I've always been a big fan of tough love, which is why I like Jordan Peterson so much because it's that tough love motivation mm -hmm. that I like to call it evil advice, that advice that's going to just ruin your life temporarily <laughs> or it's going to be a good, a good side to the, yeah, to the other end. Yeah. yeah, transformation is scary, man. It really is. It's lonely because you, you talk to different people. You're no longer part of a certain peer group. You're no longer surrounded with the people you used to be surrounded with. And yeah, it's terrifying. Man needs difficulties, I'm quoting Young. They are necessary for health. Everybody and needs 
a lot of times in my own experience, you start having this faith that these small steps and these small steps you're taking and these habits that you're trying to build yeah. will lead to something better and something greater. But a lot of times in my own experience, it took at least a year mm -hmm. to be like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Something's happening here, you know? Mm -hmm. And because I think what's so difficult for people that, that aren't aware of psychology or don't study psychology is it's not tangible. So it's right. very hard to, right. right. Because it's not tangible, they don't see results right, right away or, you, you know, if you, exactly right. yeah, if you study psychology in school, what job does it lead to right away when you, you know, you're, Which you're is the looking for a job, right? Yeah. Well, that's what school wants you to think. Like, right. Exactly. It puts you in that school job mindset. No, you learn psychology to better understand yourself. So you don't end up in a job that you hate. Right. So and you, you can apply it to anything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so applicable. It's the, only, it's the only golden hammer you can really get away with. Like the golden hammer thing where you take an idea and you try to apply it to everything. Yeah. I think psychology gets away with it because it's, it's wide. It's so far reaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is untangible. And that's where the, the trick is, is that so it's, okay. it's, it's hard for people to get into something where they're not going to see results instantaneously. Yes, know? like meditation is a great example of that. Yes, yes. Well, I gotta meditate, sit down, reach nirvana. <laughs> 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 no, I've fallen off the bandwagon so many times, Rich. It's so hard introspection itself whatever form that takes for you, you you don't have to sit on your butt and meditate you can go for a run and get a meditative state from that yeah. but like anything difficult it's showing up every day so the act of understanding yourself is something that you commit to and you falter through and you're going to be terrible at it and i'm still terrible at it you show up every day and you develop that self-awareness and you become aware of all of your how how easy it is to distract yourself and how easy it is to mm -hmm. get down on yourself and you need to know that because it's humbling to know that you're a human being who has mm -hmm. flaws. Everybody has their own yes. damn flaws and you need to know that because then mm -hmm. that's where empathy kicks in because then mm -hmm. you can start empathizing with other human beings because you know that they have flaws just like you. Yeah. And you don't want to beat yourself up over those flaws because that isn't all that healthy. And you also don't want to accept the, that, like just merely accept that you have those flaws. You do the best that you can to do something productive with your life useful and meaningful to other people despite your setbacks that are built into you to built into other people like yeah if you and i had this episode yesterday i was in such a cranky mood yesterday i don't know what it was. <laughs> oh yeah 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 i seem all happy today but no i'm so glad we did this today and there's an example of that like everybody goes through their low points and their high points and through all of those fluctuations, that's what makes you human. Yeah, we're all humans trying to get by here, trying to figure it out. And uh, we would mm -hmm. like to be as fulfilled as possible. But unfortunately, fulfillment takes a lot of intentional steps. It doesn't usually just happen, you know? So okay. that's why psychology is so important. Yeah. What, enlighten me more about Carl Jung. Okay. I, I, I remember back in college, I would read about Yun and then even doing some uh, 
exploration with philosophy and psychology again, especially during uh, COVID, mm-hmm. I, I run across Jung's name all the time. So uh, get me up to speed on Jung, Carl Jung. Okay, so context for myself. I'm a student. I am no expert. I'm no Jungian psychoanalyst. I'm just a student who is fascinated with these ideas. And like I said before, torturing myself with these, with these books. So Jung was, the, Jung was a Swiss psychologist, psychoanalyst, who wrote a lot of books and he had a lot to say, a lot of super profound things to say about the human spirit. And his, his books are so strange. He was such a strange person. There's a great video. I'm gonna recommend this video to, to your okay. readers, uh, listeners by uh, a content creator named Sisyphus55. Sisyphus55. Yes. On Just look up Sisyphus55 Young, the modern shaman. I think that's the name of the, of the video. Okay. The modern shaman. And he, he kind of was like a shaman. So I'll read you this quote from, from Jung which is a, I think, a little-known quote. This is actually at the end of one of Sisyphus 55's so, videos. Would you say, so Sigmund Freud is like the guy that uh, popularized or, or uh, made psychology, the study of like the human mind, credible. Yeah. And then Jung is after him, right? Jung was after him, yes. And they were at one point colleagues, and they split off. I think they split. Jung and Freud split off because Jung was more interested in religion and Freud wasn't. So I think when Jung was writing his book, Symbols of Transformation, that's when Jung and Freud split. So Freud is most popularized by the nowadays, the psychosexual stages of development. The thing with Jung Jung and Freud is that modern psychologists like to discredit Jung and Freud because their ideas on the surface seem so strange. I mean, everybody remembers when they were in psychology classes and they, the only thing they learned about Freud was the psychosexual stages of development. And it seems so weird. Everybody's laughing because yeah. oh, we're talking about sex and we're talking about children. Like what the hell? And then the same thing with Jung happens. Same thing happens with Jung. So I have a classical psychology textbook in my closet. And I only keep this thing because it pisses me off so much. And I like to refer to <laughs> There is only one page about Jung in my psychology textbook. It's, it's not even a page. It's a, a half a page. And it just says, Jung had some ideas about th- these things called archetypes. Could you think of what... Jung archetypes are something that describes primordial behaviors of human beings throughout symbols of religion or something like that. Can you think of something else to describe these symbols? And it's like, no, you can't. You cannot think of something else to describe these symbols unless your name is Carl Jung, because he's so <laughs> smart. And so it's like it's so degrading to how <laughs> Jung was. And it's like people who write these textbooks think we're stupid. And fair enough, because it's incredibly tough to understand Jung and, and Freud as well. Yeah. I mean, that's why you gotta read their books and read them several times over, because they're so hard to understand. But there's a lot of stuff that he wrote that is very succinct and clear. And I really want to share this with you. This is from the Red Book, which is a more of a surface level book, I think written after Jung's death. There is only one way, and that is your way. There is only one salvation, and that is your salvation. Why are you looking for help? Do you believe help will come from outside? What is to come will be created in you and from you. 
Hence, look into yourself. Do not compare. Do not measure. No other way is like yours. All other ways deceive and tempt you. You must fulfill the way that is in you. So you can take that and depending on who you are as a person, you could think that that's evidence that you should go rob a bank. Or you could think that that's evidence that you should do something that's useful for humanity. Or it's um, the, my, the way, what I got from it is... Yeah. Um, what did you get from it? Whatever you want or whatever you yearn for, there's only one way to reach that. And it's not from that person or that person or that person or that. It's from inside you having the self-awareness and figuring out, okay, I'm a unique person, a unique individual. My circumstances are unique to myself. I have to navigate this through myself to get there. And I can use help along the way, but it comes down to myself. That is the perfect summarization of this. I couldn't have said it better myself. While, yes, ladies and gentlemen, Rich Hebron. There is a wonderful short little article on brain pickings. You've read Brain Pickings, right? By uh, Maria Popova. I think that's- Yeah. What, you've never read Brain Pickings? No. There's a lot of books I haven't read, Paul. No, 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 it's a blog. It's a blog, it's a blog. Okay. It's a blog called Brain Pickings. It's wonderful. You're just the kind of person who would enjoy it. So th- she writes about other writers. So there's this, this article about Nietzsche. And Nietzsche has this quote that goes, I'm gonna paraphrase this. You are the only person who can walk the bridge of your life. And that's another way of saying exactly what Jung just said. Yeah. It's like you can enroll people to help you. And nowadays I'm thinking about friendship as this kind of enrollment process where who do I want in my life who I can re- rely upon for spiritual help? And who can I rely on for help for creativity, for content creation? Who can I rely on for financial advice? Things like that. Yeah. Enrolling people to help you along the way. That's the true mark of friendship. People who would love to help you to have to fall back on. But you are the only person who is capable of making your life the way you want to make it. Nobody else can do it right. for you. So you're exactly right with that. And so Nietzsche, you're the only person who can walk that bridge, which is your life. And Jung is saying there is only one person who can decide your way. And that is you. Yeah. So that's one of his more clear, clear things to understand. I mean, you got what it meant just in the first go around. I mean, I could open up one sentence from symbols of transformation. And like, I have no idea what it means. Like, After all that has gone before, it is evident from this passage that the city, the heavenly bride who is here, promised to the son is the mother or mother imago. I mean, you need the context from the rest of it. That's not not very fair, but it's a completely different subject matter than what's being discussed in that quote that I just mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's another quote? Okay, so I got nine of these. Okay, so here's a really good one. Actually, they're all really good. This ties, I'll, I'll kick one off by saying something that ties exactly into what you just said. The shoe that fits one person pinches another. There is no recipe for living that suits all cases. Yeah. So you could think that one lifestyle would fit you, but it's so constraining. It's squeezing you. You think that, well, to be successful, I need to be a, a salesman of insurance. Of insurance. 
Okay. You do that, but then you feel these constraints on your psyche. Like you can't be creative anymore because you're mm-hmm. selling insurance and that's not who you are as a person. You might find some financial success doing that, but somebody else who's more inclined to sell insurance is going to benefit from that lifestyle. And that person, if they were to become a YouTube content creator, would probably hate it. Yeah. <laughs> now they're not able to sell insurance, which is what they love doing. <laughs> So the shoe that fits one squeezes another. Let's see. What's another one? The creation of something new is not accomplished by the intellect, but by the play instinct acting from inner necessity. The creative mind plays with the objects it loves. The creative mind plays with the objects. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, look at that. Thinking doesn't do. You can mm-hmm. think all you want, but you have to, you have to play. You have to do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The work that feels like play to you. Yeah. Yeah. See, that ties also, you and nature always tie together so well, like chocolate and vanilla or something like that. <laughs> Nietzsche has this verse from um, Beyond Good and Evil that goes, mature manhood is to reinstate the seriousness that one had as a child at play. Oh, yeah, that's great. I know. I know. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mature. What's, what's your favorite uh, Nietzsche book? Nietzsche. Well, I've only read two so far. Okay. His autobiography is the one that's... Which, what's that called? I don't know how to pronounce it right. Ek, E-C-C-E, homo. That's it. That's the title. Oh. Ek, ek a homo. Not entirely sure how to pronounce that right. Okay. That and Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, which my favorite so far? I don't have a favorite. I would say that his autobiography is the easier one to read of those two. I mean, you wrote a lot okay. of books. Yeah. So yeah, okay. the seriousness that one had as a child at play. That's good. Yeah, that really. That's good. Play, I can tell. Yeah, the debt we owe to the play of imagination is incalculable. That's also from Jung. So yeah. What is it? The debt we owe. Owe to the play of imagination is incalculable. So when you're doing this podcast right now, mm-hmm. and when I'm doing mine, it's you could call it work. But it doesn't feel like work. It's it's play. It's yeah. It's work. it's we're imagining it, but we're it's doing play it. and work. It's yeah. It's we don't have a word for it. Yeah, <laughs> we're so used to calling work. We're so used to thinking about work as work as such. Clock yeah. in, clock out. Do something we hate doing. It's work. It's um. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. That's that's such an important part of life. If you can, if you can make your work play. Yes. Like uh, you know, um, I live with my creative partner now, and we're working all the time, mm-hmm. but we're we're playing. So like our our apartment, we've turned into like a creative studio, and we're just playing every <laughs> single day. <laughs> And we're doing work. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's a, 
he's an animator and illustrator. So mm-hmm. our living room, we have a like a, a table that looks over. We're on the ninth floor in Chicago. And uh-huh. so it looks over some of the, the city buildings. And so the table's nice and clear. That's where I'll go and do my stuff. And then right next to it, he has uh, his animation workstation. So he has mm-hmm. like three screens and he's he's just playing. He's uh-huh. just drawing and illustrating. And it's just, oh you know, man, it's just good vibes. And it's like, we he'll go somewhere during the day and then come back later. And it was like, I did a lot of work today. And <laughs> like, we just... <laughs> We just played, you know, just, yeah, weird. It, I just tweeted this the other day. I wrote, I rarely feel productive because so much of what I do doesn't feel like work. Yeah. You don't ever feel productive. You don't feel like, oh, I got so much stuff done today. And then some days you don't because like what you did was just record two podcast episodes and yeah, it's work, right? I don't want to discredit creators who are working their butts off. There's a lot of creators out there who are the working. editing too. The editing's work. Yeah, but it's fun yeah, too yeah. at the same time, weirdly. Yeah, right. Well, when I'm editing my videos and making the trailers for the podcast, I don't feel like I'm begrudging it. There's no, I mean, the only micromanager is myself, yeah. but I'm not berating myself to do it a certain way. Yeah, it's a strange thing. We don't have language for it, which is why we're, we're struggling in the dark to come to. Here's, here's something I, I experience. So we're talking about work and my work is creating but it feels like my mind is always on. And so I'm always gathering ideas. I'm always gathering inspiration. So to me, even working means to just go walk around the city, just walk around the streets. Yes. And I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm Oh, I'm, I'm creating in my head. I'm gathering all these ideas. And so my mind is always on. So I'm always working and I'm always playing at the same time. You know, this is going to get real meta real fast. (laughs) While you were saying that I was thinking, man, I wish you said that on my show. So I could have made a podcast trailer clip video thing for Twitter that I've been doing lately and Instagram and edit something out of that and put music to it. So even while I have this conversation, <laughs> my mind is always on as well. It's, my mind is always on. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's why we, I need to say this to myself to remind myself that even if you're going for a walk or if you're going for a hike, I just went for this solo hike last Sunday. It felt amazing. I came back from that and I had ideas. Not every idea you have is going to lead to some new venture. It's going to make yeah. you a lot of money. Might not even, as long as you take something and you make something out of those ideas, if you just write down those ideas, if you're out going for a walk to the city, if you can, hopefully you're not living in some area that's been infested with COVID. If you're, if you're lucky enough to do that, that is a wonderful source of inspiration. You'll approve, this is a great time to bring this quote up again from Nietzsche's autobiography. You'll like this. He wrote, Credit no thought, not born out of the open air and while moving freely about. Sit as little as possible. Mm. And so he said, Nietzsche said that many of the ideas for his book, which I haven't read, so I can't say I know anything about it, but he wrote in his autobiography that he pretty much wrote Thus Spoke Zarathustra while walking. 
getting ideas from it while walking. I think he might yeah. have had a, a journal on him at the time, but I mean, not even Nietzsche, but so many writers, yeah. poets, painters have credited walking as a form of work. Well, how are you going to write about the world if you don't go out and experience the world? Exactly. Writing a good mark of a writer is somebody who's living and paying attention to their surroundings and yeah. being interested in the world around them and themselves. Yeah. To, uh, to steep it, and mm -hmm. I drink it that way, just black. And uh, so See, I like to test out what I like, what I don't like. This like is that. what I like about you. So environment, you're in Chicago. You love Chicago yeah. so much. You couldn't yeah. do all of this creating that you're doing. You couldn't talk about Chicago if you lived in Maine or San Diego. You got to be in Chicago because mm -hmm. I can tell you love the environment of Chicago so much. So you found your environment as far as I know. Yes, I love it here. I love the people here, the vibe. Oh. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of it too... We think of uh, physical environments and a lot of it too is being grateful for what you have. So being grateful, looking around, what do I have? A lot of people, I think, believe, oh, if I lived here, if I was in this situation, if this and that, then I would be happier. Then I could do my stuff. But sometimes you just got to look around and be like, what is here? What am I experiencing? I'm really happy that I have that. I'm really grateful for that. And then you start to look for positives and you, all you start seeing is the positives of, of places that you are or your environment, you know? It seems to me that the only if, the only conditional if that makes you happy is I would be happy if I appreciated everything I have right now. Not, I would be happy if I had this, 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 and that. And sure, you might be. There's nothing wrong with, like, I would be happier if I had more time to read books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if, if I had more books that I want to read. Mm -hmm. But there is a trap within that, too. I'm no wise guru, but... You're absolutely right. And anytime anybody ever brings it up to me, it always reminds me to appreciate everything that could be taken for granted easily, easily. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't even know the degree to which I'm incredibly lucky to have what I, what I have. Just the tools that I have around me to be able to talk to people yeah. like you. It's overwhelming. Like, that's why I don't like doing gratitude projects because I'm so, I'd be so overwhelmed by how... <laughs> Everything. It would just crush me. Uh, there's so many things to be grateful for. What was that? There's so many things to be grateful for. Yes. Yeah, so many really things. Are. Yeah. Seriously. Well, yeah. why don't we end on one last quote? Sure. Okay. Okay. Hmm. I got to pick a good one. <laughs> I already picked so many good ones. I'll leave on a good note, too. Hmm. Okay, I got one. Nobody, nobody, as long as he moves about among the chaotic currents of life, is without trouble. Mm. Nobody, as long as he moves about the chaotic currents of life, is without trouble. 
It reminds me of that saying, I don't know how modern this is, but everybody's fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Yeah. So that's yeah. where empathy comes in. And it's like, yeah. we're all we're all fighting against these waves, our own waves of life. And uh, everybody has, is, is it crescendo, the musical term for a descending moment in, the, in music? You know more about music than I do. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't I'm, know the specific terms. Okay. <laughs> I think it's crescendo. Crescendo, I think, is like up. Is that up? I always thought that as a down thing. Descendo? I have no idea. I don't know. Everybody, well, what I'm trying to say is that everybody has their own rhythms, their own ups and downs. And to meet people where they are, that's where empathy comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to accept that you have those and to not be so hard on yourself despite those ups and downs. So enjoy the ups and bear the downs as much as you can yeah and also not to be hard on other people so much because they're all experiencing something we know nothing about yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly it's hard to tell sometimes because some people are really really good at um putting on a mask and hiding those Mm -hmm. things and in some cultures actually i don't know this is the extent of my knowledge but i think in japan it's it's more so they don't talk a whole lot about the struggles of the soul as much because I, I, I was talking to john dobb and he told me um creator of only in japan that in japan it's encouraged to just try to make other people <sighs> i'm feeling resistance to saying this because i don't want to discredit the idea or, or get this wrong but john dobb talking to me was such a positive person mm-hmm. and he told me that if you just portray yourself in a way that's positive and, and good it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're happy all the time because it's a really tricky term but if you just come across as some but somebody who other people are attracted to because you at least know that life is hard as hell i think the most positive people that i've ever met understand that life is hard and despite that they do their best to make other people feel happy and i think that's what john dobb does really well with his work with only in Japan, the videos that he does. And he told me that he learned that from spending 20 years in Japan is that you recognize that life is hard and you don't spend so much time ruminating on that. Like a miserable philosopher, you do things that make other people feel good Mm -hmm. because we all need that. We do. He learned that from living in Japan. Yeah. Hope I got that right. Well, Paul, thanks for coming on. This is this has been a blast. I love just nerding out with you and just talking about psychology and life. And oh, it's such a thank pleasure. You. This has been the highlight of my week so far. Yes, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Again, you can follow Paul at a penguin latte. Have a grateful day. <laughs>